MHI Industry Leadership Podcast brings together the solutions, providers, and thought leaders of the materials handling industry to talk about trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices to move the industry forward. Christian Dow is the Executive Vice President of Membership and Industry Leadership at MHI. In each episode, Christian will be talking to the leaders and members of MHI's industry groups. Let's join him now. On this episode, we're going to talk with two members of the solutions community about why passive and reactive automation strategies don't work. Today on the show, we have Ed Romain, who's Vice President of Marketing and Business Development with Conveco Technologies, and John Ashodian, who's the Industry Marketing Manager for Logistics Automation at SIC. Ed Romain is the uh, chair of the integrator chair for the solutions community, and John Ashodian is the executive director of the solutions community. Welcome, gentlemen. Ed, do you want to introduce yourself or say anything else about, you know, kind of your experience and how long you've been participating in the industry? Thank you, Christian. Pleasure to be here today. I've been in the industry for many, many (laughs) decades, more than I really want to admit, uh, working within automation in the uh, supply chain realm. So I appreciate the opportunity and ready to begin. John, how about you? Yeah, hi, Christian. Thanks for having me today. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, I've been in the industry for uh, going over 30 years now, and my primary experience is uh, within logistics um, in roles in marketing, business development, and product management, uh, serving primarily the logistics markets. Gotcha. Well, thanks for joining me today. And uh, so we're going to talk about why passive and reactive automation strategies don't work. So let's start off with a question. Why is aligning an organization's business objective with its warehouse and DC operational performance and expectation uh, yield better results in solely implementing changes based on peak season's performance? That's a great question. Primarily, it's always better to look out of the windshield while you're driving than it is the rearview mirror. So that when you're being reactive, you're looking at past year's peak and making plans based upon that. And certainly you need that as a reference point, but you need to look out the windshield. What's happening? What's going to be going on in the world? How is that going to be impacting your company, your performance? Everything that is going to happen, you need to make your plans, do your calculations based upon the future. By doing it proactively, automation, what you can do is align what your business requirements are, ROI requirements, orders, customer qualifications, customer requirements, and design that into a system that'll meet that, those requirements and that performance levels, understanding that what the past peak and past performances have been, but focusing on the future. John, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I think I would add to that. I mean, those are great insights. I think the biggest thing is that the environment that we're working in, especially right now, um, characterized by VUCA, right? There's a lot of volatility and uncertainty. Um, we don't know what the trends are going to change into. We, we know times are changing. Things are changing very quickly within the industry, but we can't anticipate what's going to happen next necessarily. So, you know, I just... Um, you know, re- reference to looking out the front window instead of the rearview mirror is absolutely apropos. You need to be looking forward, um, but you also need to be able to anticipate change and, uh, you know, and, and make decisions based on a, a very rapidly changing environment like we work in right now. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So what competitive advantages can be gained through automation that yields cost reduction and operational efficiency? Right. So you just you just mentioned two of them right there, Christian, is, you know, cost reduction and operational efficiency is something that, you know, every every organization is, is looking for. Um, I think what sometimes goes, you know, overlooked is that, you know, the reason why you're looking for those cost reductions and operational efficiency, and it lies within uh, the, the end consumer, the, the user. So what's important is that you anticipate, um, you know, your end user or the buyer's experience or the you know, level of customer satisfaction. And so where you implement any kind of automation to increase efficiency, you're getting product to the customer faster. Um, if I'm a retailer, I want to make sure that my customer's happy. I want to make sure they're getting exactly what they ordered, you know, delivered to where they ordered it and when they ordered it. And so a lot of the, the byproducts of automation help a company to differentiate themselves in the, you know, in the competitive market space, um, you know, to, to get a competitive advantage. And that's a huge, that's a huge piece of it. We're all consumers and we all, you know, are experiencing the, you know, the same, <laughs> the same issues. We want the right product delivered at the right time and place. Um, obviously automation is a big part of making sure that happens. So, you know, one of the things that I also look at on this is, is what about, you know, the other factors, you know, it, you know, Ed, you talk about the last peak season and, and things like that and, and using that as your baseline, but, you know, we didn't know, uh, you know, we thought in 2019, we had a labor problem and, and right now we have so much more of a labor problem and, and the group, you know, our, our community just focused on augmentation of human capital. How do you make human capital more valuable? But, you know, it, with, with, with some of these advantages that you're gaining through automation, these are also advantages or, or, or things you couldn't have lived with, with, you know, in the current labor, labor situation, if you didn't have this automation, if you didn't have these solutions, if you don't create a plan that's going to work for the next peak season without having to be the ability to staff up and things. Any, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. To your point, we knew that labor was a problem. It didn't come out of the blue. We saw it in 2018. We thought, saw it in 2019, even earlier. So we knew that that was a trend. It was exasperated by what happened during COVID. But with that said, if you're planning, you're looking out, you would have seen a labor issue. You would have designed facilities and systems with more flexibility. And today's automation has higher levels of flexibility than we've ever seen in the past, whether it's robotics, AMRs, even conveyor systems are more flexible. Uh, all these different technologies, uh, software, you're you would be designing with that in mind and utilizing those benefits so that when a, when a wild card comes flown at you and all of a sudden you really have to react because you're already heading in that direction, you're able to adjust and accommodate much quicker and far more effectively. Also, because we're talking about competitive advantages, it allows you to create that advantage between you and your competitors in the marketplace. So it's great that now you've got a plan to do uh, shipping in it's 24 hours, but maybe it's time for you to do 12 hour. Maybe it's six hour, whatever that is within your market space will be that will be determined by what that competitive advantage uh, sustainability is another issue where we all have to be marching to that beat. Planning and looking forward gives you that opportunity. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And, and a couple of key words that you use in there, Ed, definitely flexibility, right? Flexibility is key. 
Um, you know, we see seasonality in our business and, um, you know, you need to be prepared for the future. And if there were those companies that maybe underestimated the, the impact of the labor shortages that we're having, um, you know, they're going to be behind the eight ball. Yet if you're able to plan in and, and design in flexibility, um, augment labor, you know, as you discussed and, and automate to a certain level, then the impacts on your customer satisfaction, um, you know, are, are minimized. And, and if that's your, your ultimate goal, which, which it is, we need to keep our customers happy, make a profit, keep things efficient, um, then you have to have that flexibility um, built in for sure. So in a, in a previous life, I worked for a, a company that provided automated labeling systems, and both of you uh, were familiar with me back then and, and things. But one of the common things I saw on, you know, in our production were, were systems for companies that came out of nowhere and went from very small to all of a sudden household names. And so from that perspective, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a company that's up and coming, if I'm a, a, an organization, if I work for uh, an organization that's becoming the next household name, where do I start? How much, inf- how much automation do I implement? That's all about looking at what the business plan is all about. What is your company? No company goes from zero to a household name literally overnight. It, there, there's rounds of probably VC money. There's you, you see it going. It can be accelerated. It could be at a very rapid pace, but it's knowing what your business plan is and what is creating that excitement and that growth. So it's really funneling in who's my customer. If you are a e-commerce company and you deal with orders of you know 1.2 lines per order and hundreds of thousands of or tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of orders a day you need to design your fulfillment system accordingly if you're a company that manufactures in lots of one and that is a totally different requirement so it's understanding what your business is what your customer expectations are and how to build that system that meets those requirements. And because you're planning and you're doing it looking forward, you can then look at what the financial requirements are. It's all about the return on investment, rate of, internal rate of return, whatever metrics your company um, relies on or both. It's all about looking at what is that investment, what is, and truly doing the fine calculation. Simply don't take space and labor and then do your investment and do your calculation. What's the opportunity value? That opportunity value is huge. What SKUs can I bring into my warehouse because I'm saving space? What's that net revenue? And I can put it into my ROI. What um, additional functionality or items can I sell that will allow me to help justify whatever type of automation or whatever type of design that I want to put in? But you take the time to do that calculation knowing where your business is, knowing where your business is heading, and now you justify a system that's a right fit. It fits perfectly with what your business case is. Yeah, I, I think that if you look at the you know the different business models that are there, they've, they've been impacted, actually benefited, obviously, by the, you know, the fact that there's automation. But what's changed you know, is the product mix. I mean, you're mentioning different business models. Are you selling one-offs? Are you selling, you know, custom pieces or are you selling, you know, large quantities of the same, the same product? That's going to have a huge impact on how much you automate just because of the nature of, of the mix. Um, the mix has certainly changed. You're not seeing just boxes shipped anymore. There's bags, clear bags, poly bags, you know, colored bags. <laughs> There's all kinds of different packaging on top of 
you know, a, a, a countless number of irregulars um, ranging in, you know, in various sizes that are conveyed on either small conveyors or tilt trays or large conveyors. So there's a, there's a huge mix and, and depending on your operation and, and, you know, where your, where your priorities sit in terms of, you know, meeting your customers' demands, um, that's going to have a huge impact on whether you're, um, you know, forced into a totally manual situation because of the nature of product or fully, you know, lights out and fully automated, um, you know, from entry point, you know, in and out. Obviously, that's a huge spectrum, right? But in between, there's the right fit for every different, you know, company's business model. Um, so you really need to take into account and assess those different things that, you know, that you mentioned. Um, you know, where, where, are the, where are the best places to start in terms of automation for the best return? It might not be every corner of the, of the warehouse. Um, you know, it, it depends on the business model and the mix and, and, you know, what your existing platform looks like, what your existing operations look like. Yeah, and and I think with with companies that grow from different sizes, they go from from you know you start off with with doing everything in house, and then you then you graduate, and maybe you go to a you know partner relationships like three PLs or uh, or the organizations that do fulfillment for you, and 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 then you know and do some of your operations for you, and then you bring you know and then you end up you know having a scale where you can bring that back in and and really do it somewhat on your own and then and then you have to automate and build out and things like that so you kind of go through as ed was talking about kind of the you know the startup and the vc and the you know the 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 funding and everything else there's going to be all these stages and and really with any any brand that goes from you know or or company that goes from very small to very large there's these steps along the way and 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 there may be steps where you're you're partnering with somebody that does that for you and then they're bringing it back and then automating and then there's different levels and and strategies around that so so great points um, i'm glad you brought up 3pls christian because i mean that clearly you know where you have multiple clients if you're a 3pl you know provider and they're they have seasonality to their product mix and you're you know you have client turnover and replacement i mean the the 3pls and other service providers need to look at this mix um, you know, there's a little more complexity to it, right? Because it's not a single, necessarily a, a single product mix that you're dealing with. It could be multiples and that's changing and expanding and contracting over time. So, um, but the same, the same principles apply in terms of where do I start? When do I start? How much do I start? That's, you know, those are all questions that have a, a little bit more complex dynamic for a 3PL than just a retailer, but the same concerns. Yeah, and a 3PL, it depends on the brand and the seasonality that they carry with that brand or with that product that, that they're bringing in-house. So if they're, you know, for example, back to school or holiday season, you know, different holidays and, and things like that, then, you know, they could have offsetting seasonality based on what they're running through their um, through their facilities based on what brands are doing. You know, if they're selling, you know, summer goods or, you know, you know kayaks and and you know, paddle boards and things like that, that's obviously going to be a spring and summer, you know, mover. And then, you know, and then obviously, uh, you know, Black Friday and uh, through Christmas season is a different set of products and different set of, of peaks and things. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, so when is the best time to automate DC operations? So planning ahead, minimizing disrupt, disruptive deployments, things like that. When, you know, when is it best for an operation to, automated DC operation? Well, I'll, I'll take that one, Christian, um, or at least the start of it, <laughs> and have some things to add to it. Um, I, sooner the better, right? But that said, with a, with a bit of a qualifier, um, 
you know, you, you need to really have a good plan. You really need to take account um, of your operations and, you know, look at your, your priorities, um, you know, your, your efficiencies and, and just operational tendencies. But again, also look at your customer. Where is it that, you know, you're going to benefit the most from, um, you know, from any kind of level of, of automation. And I guess to answer the question, when's the best time is when you've got that plan in place and when you understand, you know, what the implications are, um, you know, in, in terms of what the impact may be. And it's a short-term view and a long-term view. I look short-term, you know, to address any kind of acute, you know, issues that you might be facing operationally or from a cost standpoint, prioritize those. But then longer-term, have a strategy, um, you know, that, that places, you know, automation into your, you know, into your business model and, and implement what's going to make the most sense in terms of, you know, returns for your, you know, for your company and satisfaction of your, of your customer. Yeah, John's dead on. Um, you want to make sure that you're not disrupting your peak, needless to say. That's, that's an easy answer. Um, you want to be able to see what can be implemented prior and then probably post. That makes the most sense. You want to start earlier, have a plan, just like John said. That, that makes perfect sense. Depending upon the size and the complexity, you might be able to piecemeal elements within an existing operation prior and then have to wait for phase two after. But this all goes back to a really good roadmap as to what you plan out and when and where. Likewise, even weekends, we've had customers where we've implemented uh, piecemeal um, um, automation over during uh, shut there when they were shut down during weekends and nights, things of that nature. So it, it's all about having a great roadmap that's timely and uh, realistic. So what are the, some of the key automation technologies that, you know, a, a listener or a, a, a practitioner might need to investigate? What are some of the things that are emerging? What are some of the things that are like core that you, you know, would be the kind of the, where to start uh, technologies? Sure. Well, there's an awful lot, but there are definitely some that uh, are on the top of the list. I think it starts with uh, software, a WES, warehouse execution systems. That type of that layer of software will now work within your existing architecture. And what it will do is orchestrate and optimize not only your labor, but also the performance of whatever automation equipment that you have so that you're optimizing labor and equipment, getting the best of what you already own. So that's definitely a good first step. When you get beyond that, you're looking for that flexibility that we both hit a while ago in this conversation. You want flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. Some of the technologies that definitely play right into that is AMRs, autonomous mobile robots, robotic picking. These, these are technology that is no longer cutting edge. There are so many implementations that it's, you, know, you want to call it tip of the spear, sure, but it's not the tip. It's just the head. It is a great type of technology, whether you're picking, whether you're sorting, whether you're uh, buffering, there, there are so many applications that these type of technologies play into. And because of their flexibility, you're able to go put in the system that you need today. And you can constantly add as you go forward, as your business requires it. You can move it, you can modify it. The flexibility has never been more available than these technologies provide 
in the past history of material handling systems. So I think those are good places to start. Yeah. So, so before going on to John, some of the things I'm hearing you say is that the, the software is really the foundation that the hardware is built on, right? You know, having the right software in place really will make, you know, um, it can be put in place with minimal disruptions, but then also can be, uh, you know, it becomes the foundation to build your automation systems, you know, the physical automation out around, right? Yes, it, it has to be part of the car competency, but it can be done in parallel. So it doesn't necessarily have to be step one, step two, but certainly they are steps that you're going to be doing and completing in order to really excel. Yeah, I, I, that's a great, a, a great insight. I, I think what I would add to that is, is a couple of things. One, so you started with the software, Ed, which I found interesting and I think is, is right, is it's the foundation of everything else, right? It's the logic, it runs you know, the, the machinery that's there. And as far as the hardware, the machinery goes, right? You hit on the, the top ones right now that we're seeing in terms of trends in the marketplace. You got robotics, you got AMRs. Um, there's all kinds of advances coming, obviously, also in, in conveying. Um, you know, so that's, those are the machines and the software that drives the machines critical. But I would, I would add to the fact that when you mentioned software, the software is also so important because there's so much data and so much information now that's available through these systems. Um, and, and data management and information management is critical to giving you the visibility and supply chain and operational efficiency. Um, you know, that can't be overlooked because it's a certainly a, you know, an important part of it. But I'd also add one more thing is the other thing to, you know, to consider um, is the componentry, right? Look at the different components. You might look at a larger system and say, I need a conveyor, I need ASRS, I need an AMR, I need, you know, robotics, whatever that might be. But the functionality um, that's determined by the componentry on that is, is also important. And, and I say that somewhat selfishly coming from, you know, from where I am, you know, we're a component supplier, um, but what we look at every day is, you know, how do we make those AMRs more efficient and safer? And how do we make, um, you know, uh, robotics um, perform the functions that they, you know, that they need to. Um, you know, we certainly don't make the, the robots themselves, but we do make some of the sensing devices that help control the robots. And so all of those pieces together, the components, the hardware and the software, you know, getting a good understanding of what the capabilities are of each of those functional pieces or functional sets are is, you know, is critical. And, you know, you, you can't ignore any one of those, any one of those areas to get the best solution. So, John, it sounds like you're saying like the, the old BASF uh, uh, thing. If we don't make the robots, we make them better. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so, Ed, what are some of the key KPIs that automation can provide, provide for an organization? So what are the, you know, the elements or, or measurable uh, things that you can get out of you know, adding automation to an organization? Now, the, the key ones are always labor and space. That's the, you can divide that up into a number of different categories and uh, different um, breakdowns within them. But a lot of it all boils down to those two as being your basics. Then it's really going back to what is key for your operation. What are some of the weaknesses? Developing those K KPIs in which you monitor the business that there are just so many different ones. Um, some organizations are very focused on sustainability. So you'll have sustainability, uh, real-time uh, tracking, customer uh, satisfaction, customer delivery, uh, shipping rates, and shipping costs. You know, these are all 
very good ones. What really every organization needs to look in, evaluate their business. They everyone starts with their key and core KPIs. The trick is to prioritize and figure out which ones have the highest value and to what levels do they really need to be when planning automation and planning your future as a company. Yeah, I'd go back. It's an interesting question, right? What are the right KPIs? And I'm going to go back to a previous question because I think this somewhat relates in the sense that there may be KPIs that you haven't considered, right? What what are the performance indicators that you can measure, um, again, out of these systems using things like analytics and, um, you know, artificial intelligence? You know, there's data, again, that can come out of these systems, and there may be KPIs that you haven't even considered that are really only going to be realized through implementing, you know, the right the right system or the right solution for you that provides the information that you're looking for. So for example, if you're, you know, um, looking for, you know, minimize downtime on, on system X, you know, you need information off of that system, um, you know, to better understand how well it's performing and even, you know, looking more to the future, predict when, you know, you might have issues and, and that in itself is going to, you know, prevent or provide some efficiencies in terms of your cost control and, and, and maximizing uptime. So you have to think a little bit outside the box in terms of what you're, you know, what you're measuring. And a lot of that is the analytics that comes out of, um, you know, some of these systems. Yeah. And so, you know, on behalf of the solutions community, John, you know, and you're, you're the executive director for the solutions community. And you can talk about, you know, when you answer this kind of start off with the uh, you know, kind of who are the members of the solutions community, but in, in considering that, what are some of the top considerations for collaboration with a technology or service partner? Um, you know, you know, so who are like, how is our community made up? And then, then when somebody's looking for a partner, why should they look towards the solutions community and why, you know, what are some of the things they should look for in a technology partner? Oh, great, great question, Christian. Um, yeah, I mean, we have a pretty diverse group, right? Our, our, the solution community is probably the most diverse, if not the most diverse within all of MHI in terms of industry groups. And we're fortunate that we've got a mix of, you know, all those things that we talked about. We've got system providers, we've got software providers, we've got component suppliers, um, you know, that make all of these systems a, a, a reality. Um, and so there's a breadth of knowledge in there that you really can't find anywhere else. Um, and from a collaborative basis, you know, it's an environment where everyone's kind of facing the same situation, right? Looking what's, what's the best path forward, what's the best way to go. And you've got here, a, you know, a rich set of, of resources to help, um, you know, put the pieces together to get yourself, a, you know, a working system, a, a working operation. And, you know, within that, aside from the thought leadership, you've got experience, right? The, the, the people in our, in our group are the best in the industry, the best in the world, um, you know, and can provide insights into what works, what doesn't work, you know, what, what pain have we already gone through um, that we can help you prevent going through yourself? Um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for sharing best practices, you know, on all different levels. You know, it's not one specified, you know, discipline. It's, it's really you've got a, a resource, you know, pretty much from every angle to help solve a lot of these problems. And so um, you've got companies with a good reputation and track records here that, you know, have provable or, or demonstrable, um, you know, capabilities through experiences that they have currently and through a lot of the, the challenges that they're facing now and trying to figure out answers for. I, th I think that's what John has just said is perfect. And if I could just pile on top of that, the, the experience, track record, reputation, 
all of those are absolutely key metrics that you have to evaluate. I think also something that has, always has to be kept in mind is the company that you're talking to or the company you're looking to be talking to, what is their core? What do they do? And then when trying to figure out what your solution is, how is that reflected? If you work with uh, manufacturer A, do they work with other products? Are their solutions 100% theirs? Do they bring in others? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you have to understand that when you're looking at solutions, what is that best solution? Where does it come from and how is it created? So it's just really having perspective on what you're looking at. Yeah, we also have uh, you know some kind of agnostic members of our community, right? So the, the consultants who aren't really tied to any single you know, product or solution and things like that, and look at your business processes and, and start from, you know, from that point on. And then, and then we have, you know, the media partners that are, that are participating in our community and then our academics, like we have uh, members of the college industry council who are on our board and participate in our meetings and provide our white papers and do our research and things like that to provide thought leadership on behalf of the community. So there's a lot of resources there, um, you know, that, that could be, you know, beyond just a single solution or product or, or, or things like that, but that can lead you back to those other solutions providers that are, that are in our community and, and in, in our industry. It's a great point, Christian. And, and I'd add one, I guess one more to that is we've got a lot of young professionals that are entering our industry right now that have all kinds of enthusiasm and a, and a huge appetite to, you know, to get engaged in, in an industry like this and to bring their, you know, their new ideas and, and their creativity to, to solving these problems. So. so, Ed, where can they learn more about Conveco Technologies and how can they contact you? Sure. Um, website, www.conveco.com. We publish weekly blogs, get on our newsletter. Happy to uh, have you read new technologies, new processes uh, every week. Uh, likewise, my phone number, 215 512-2613. Be very happy to talk to you and to uh, discuss what you're looking at and where you're looking to go. I hope you get thousands of calls because uh, <laughs> that means we get thousands of listeners. There you go. <laughs> John, how about, how about uh, sick and, and how can they, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, so I'll, uh, I'll give you the same, the same info. I mean, to, to get information from SICK, uh, info at SICK.com, a uh, really good resource there. You can visit our website, SICKUSA.com. Uh, you can certainly reach out to me directly. My number is 612-803-9611 or reach me by email. It's my first name, John.Ashodian, A-S-H-O-D-I-A-N, at SICK.com. I'd be happy to, to talk with you and point you in the right direction if I can answer your question. Excellent. And uh, so we have uh, more information can be found on mhi.org backslash solutions community. And then also uh, we provide regular content and blogs and podcasts that are found on the warehouse automation blog, the MHI warehouse automation blog. You can find us through LinkedIn or on the mhi.org homepage. So John and Ed, uh, thank you both for joining us today. And we look forward to, to hearing from you both in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks, Christian. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining the MHI Industry Leadership Podcast. 
Join us next time to learn more about the trends, technologies, solutions, and best practices that are moving the industry forward. Thank you.